house. That's exactly it. We want the other stuff, but above it and first. Good job, Brent. Well, John Chisholm, most of you know him. He's been a part of our leadership team here, what, eight, seven. Ten, seven years. And we've been good friends for 30 years. And John ha was giving leadership here to the Forerunner Church uh, pastoral team here for some years and now shifted over to giving leadership to our Israel mandate and to our Russian department and ministry initiatives. And, and while doing, continuing, he's been 25 years involved in leadership consultant to businesses around the nation. And for 25 years, he's really done well with that. And so we got a good deal with you. So we got a guy leading in our church, but you're, you've got the skill of being in the marketplace and I appreciate your new book, Working Relationships, and that's what he's gonna talk about this morning uh, a bit uh, more than that. But this book is written for the marketplace on how to have difficult conversations, how to have emotional intelligence, how that comes into play to solve conflicts of relationships in the working place or in the home. And this is a uh, excellent book just came out. I talked about Juliet's book and your book, and part of my motive is you guys give me a free book if I talk about them. There you go. It, it, that's, I, I'm sure that's the key motive that drives you. But my question is, do I get it free? Sure. Okay, there you go. I knew I had you on the spot. So thank you. I heard uh, this. you share this Friday night, this message, and thank you. It was really helpful to us. Father, okay. I thank you for my friend John and the 30 years we've walked together. I thank you for the last seven or eight years that him and Fran have been plugged into this community building with all their heart. I thank you for the wisdom that you've given him and the way that you've enabled him to impart it in practical ways. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Oh, wait. I think Keep that right there. I'm okay, gonna keep that right okay. there. Okay, That phrase, bind us together in love, keeps bouncing around inside of me. What a, what a song, because that's what we're gonna talk about. I want to talk about uh, the Beatitudes, going to focus in on, the, on verse uh, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. And so I would love more time to really just go into the Beatitudes, because there's so much there. The Beatitudes, really, uh, Jesus in his uh, beginning of his ministry is laying out some basic principles in the kingdom, and he's, he's pointing us to the reality of the character and the nature that he wants his disciples to walk in. So when we talk about peacemakers, first and foremost, it's a character trait that he wants us building, and I'm going to even develop it about why that's so important. But the Beatitudes, you know, they're eschatological. Mike talks about, and the different teachers here are talking about that God is going to release a great revival to bring the church into a place of maturity. Well, what exactly does maturity look like? Well, go back to the Beatitudes. That's what maturity and so the promises on all the different uh, aspects of the Beatitudes, they have promises, like, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the kingdom's going to be made manifest in a dramatic way at the end of the age. You know, we're going to be comforted as we mourn. As, as difficulty happens, the Lord is going to be close to us, comforting us. They're, they're eschatological promises. Now, they're not just for the future, they're for now. We're supposed to be walking in this now. And I just want to encourage you in that and talk to you about that. I uh, have notes uh, that are online, and so I am going to pull a Mike Bickle, and I'm not going to walk through everything in the notes. If you're finding some help in some of this, go back to the notes, because there's more there than I'm able to walk through. And, and so even introducing the Beatitudes. Uh, the term peacemaker, you know, has peace at the heart of it, the shalom of God. And so understanding 
What is this shalom of God? You know, it's fascinating that Jesus, one of his names is Prince of Peace. That's Isaiah 9.6. It's his name. And it's his name because it's his character. He is the God of peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And, and uh, you know, the word shalom, it's really saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to speak a blessing over you. God's highest good to you is really what the word's trying to capture. It's not just this general peace, but God's best to you, that that is the shalom of God. And so we see, you know, the, the Lord, when he uh, comes back, uh, when he resurrects, the first thing he says to his disciples is peace. He says shalom to them. He releases his peace. And, and the scripture just talks about that, about, you know, it's my peace I give to you, but I don't just give it to you, I leave it with you. He wants it to be a part of your very character and nature, that you're in a place of peace even when difficulties happening around you. And the Lord is after us as a people, and he's taking us somewhere. And this issue that we would be a people of peace, even in the midst of difficulty, is really crucial to our assignment. And so first and foremost, peacemaking is an attribute. It's a character trait. And the promise on this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're going to be called sons of God. It's because we're going to have the very quality of our Father. We're going to look and smell and taste just like Jesus. That's what sonship really looks like. And so the promise is, as you embrace this character trait of being a peacemaker, that you are looking just like your Father. You're looking just like your Lord. You're acting like him. You're going to smell and move like him. That's the call that's upon us. He's the prince of peace, and we're called to be like him. And blessed are the peacemakers. They're going to be called sons of God. And so, again, I got more in my notes, but it's just really important that you understand peacemaking is first and foremost a character trait before it is an assignment. But as he does it to us, he wants to do it through us. He wants us to be peacemakers. He wants us to be able to change relationships and bring healing to them, change an environment and bring the shalom of God into an environment. It's part of our assignment. So anytime that, you know, the scriptures point us to something about, here's what I want you to be and to do, and then we look at it and go, God, that seems an awful long ways away. Like, help, Lord. I have a hard time holding on to peace when bad things are happening around me. I have a hard time holding on to peace when bad things are happening to me. But somehow there's a place in him where I can hold on to peace even in great difficulty. Now the reality is sometimes it's pretty far away from us. Can I get an amen on that? But what he wants us to do is to pray into that. I love that Mike's talking about the apostolic prayers. There's so much insight and perspective about how the apostles prayed. But I want to add a prayer, and it's a prayer David prayed, and I really want to encourage you to like memorize this. It's that meaningful because what we need to do is we need to ask for the release of whatever he is that he wants us to grow in. We ask for the grace to walk in that. All right, a hundred different verses in the scriptures tell us to go to him and ask and, and knock and seek and draw close. He's asking us to come to him, which is really what intercession and worship is all about, is us moving towards him. And, and so the Lord is saying, hey, Come to me. And so here's a prayer that just leans into that. And I really think you should memorize it. And the prayer goes like this. Help! Lord, help! Okay. Memorize that one. It's crucial to where he's taken us. It's crucial that we ask him for the very grace that we need to be this type of people. 
this thing of peacemaking, it's a character trait, but because it's a character trait, it turns into an assignment that we be a people, much like our Lord, that brings peace into situations, all right? We're to be called his children. We're to look like him, act like him, have the fruit as he has the fruit, and, and that's the promise is that as we brace this, we're going to look like him. He's the prince of peace. We're going to be the sons and daughters of peace. So when I'm talking about peacemaking, first I just want to just say what it's not. All right, It's not the absence of conflict. Because when we're peacemaking, sometimes we're going to find ourselves in conflict. Don't be surprised by that. It's not the avoidance of conflict. It's not appeasement where we're just going to make sure everything's all right so that we don't end up in conflict. It's not that we attempt to accommodate all thoughts and issues. It's not glossing over issues and let's just smile and say everything's fine when it's not. That's not what peacemaking is. What it is, is it's redemption. It's when people get reconciled to God. That's peacemaking. When, When I can enter into a situation and help somebody connect to God, that's peacemaking. When I can help somebody like restoration, restore something that's been stolen or laid down and bring them back into that place, that's peacemaking. And when I can reconcile, when I can reconcile with people in my own life, and when I can facilitate reconciliation among other people in relationships, that's peacemaking. And so in my consulting practice, again, I I go all over the country, people like are amazed at this. I have three and a half million miles with American Airlines. All right, and so that's 25 years of me running all over the country. Most of that travel is without crossing an ocean. That's all puddle jumping within the United States. All right, and so I've done an awful lot. And the focus of my practice is on difficult conversations and strategy. And the ability to be real strategic is connected to the ability to have difficult conversation. Because when we get good at being in a room wrestling with ideas, sometimes there's going to be conflict in that. And so what they'll do is when all of a sudden relationships strain to the point where it's affecting the business model, they'll call me in to help them. And as I show up, you know, when I start to interview people, it's like this one, it's not fixable. And I can't tell you how many times I'm brought in the situation and they're saying it can't be fixed. And yet with the skill set of a peacemaker, I have some incredible testimonies of God using me to bring peace. And I want to share a couple of them just even in my consulting practice. You know, the first time I I, uh, get invited by a managing partner, he's just been uh, given a promotion to become the managing partner of a practice. And it's the first time he's being a managing partner. He's looking for somebody who could be an executive coach for him. And I do some of that. So he invites me and says, hey, would you be willing to interview with me? I'm going to be in Chicago, close to where you live. Um, I'm going to be at a hotel, come visit with me. I'd like to interview you and just vet you about, are you somebody that could help me as an executive coach? So I show up at this hotel room. I'm meeting them for the first time. There's, a, there's work at the other side of this. There's consulting fees if this gets, if I get hired. And so I'd really like that a lot. And so we're visiting and he's asking me questions and getting a feel for me. And, and all of a sudden here, all of a sudden these thoughts and ideas start coming into my mind. And I feel like the Lord's saying to me, hey, ask him about his faith. Now, it's one of those situations where you want to respond back to the Lord and say, Lord, trust me on this one. That isn't a topic we should be bringing into this thing. I'm the consultant here. I know what I'm doing. Let's leave that out. But the Lord's saying, hey, ask him about his faith. And so there's the right time in the interview. You know, do you have any questions for me? I said, well, 
don't know if this is a comfortable question for you, but it would just help me get a better feel for you. Like, is faith an important part of your life? Is it a part of your life? What are your thoughts about faith? And he said, well, it's interesting you ask me that. He says, I go to church every Sunday. In fact, I, I teach Bible uh, classes, uh, Sunday school. And he said, but God seems so far away from me. And that book seems so dead to me. And so I said, well, hey, you know, it would be all right if I prayed for you. Now, he's coming from a Baptist background. His thought process is, that means I'm going to put him on a prayer thing and, you know, I'll pray for him as I go. I said, no, could I just lay a hand on you and could I pray for you right now? And I said, even before I do that, how about if I get you to just say a prayer? Hey, Lord, if you're out there, help me. I know I've contributed to this distance that's between us. I've, I'm sorry for that. But just put that into your own words. So you want me to pray out loud right now? It's like, yeah, I'd like you to pray out loud right now. All right, so he prays out loud, and he says, God, I'm sorry, and would you help me, is the gist of it. And so then I lay a hand on him, and I just proclaim some promises over him. I break some things off of him, and I speak life to him. Now, what happens is, over the next couple of months, the light clicks back in, and all of a sudden, his relationship with the Lord comes alive again in a way that's really precious. Is now, is that sweet news? Well, another part of the sweet news is I got hired, okay? I got hired. The Lord knew what he was talking about, asking about faith there. But that's peacemaking. Restoring somebody back into relationship with the Lord, that's peacemaking. So is restoration. The Lord has used me in different times that a leader falls, all right? I'm, I've shared sometimes about I had a friendship with Bob Jones. The Lord told me to run towards him when he fell, and the Lord used me to help him process his heart in that process. But I mean, there was another situation I just want to share with you about. There was a vineyard pastor. He was leading a growing, vibrant uh, vineyard in the Midwest, in a city in the Midwest. And all of a sudden, a situation happened. He needed to discipline this woman. He did it in a really strong way. And the next thing he knows, it's on the headlines. Some of it he didn't do right or do well. It blew the whole church up. And the church like disappeared almost overnight. And he realized that it was his fault that that all happened. He had done a really terrible job. Now, it was splashed all over the headlines. The enemy got in on it. The enemy just beat him up. But he walked out of that thinking to himself, like, I blew it real bad. Like, I gave God a black eye, and it was my fault. And I understand I lost my right as it comes to ministry. And he was beat up. He was really beat up. And he also lost his revenue. And so... I felt like the Lord said, run towards him. I, we went camping together, got the families together, seeing how he's doing. He needs a job real bad. He was able to be a carpenter. I found a carpenter job for him in my city. He would come on Monday, work all week, go back home on the weekend, and we got to know each other really, really well. But just the Lord was using me to help him manage his heart because I knew God's a redeemer. He's a restorer. God's not done with them. You know, the only army on the face of the earth that shoots its own wounded is the church. And that's not the Lord. The Lord redeems and restores. And I, I know that to be true because I know him in that arena. Anyway, the long and the short of it is God starts to restore his heart. Bob Jones comes into town. He used to come to my, uh, the vineyard where I pastored every year for about a five, six-year run. And we would just put him in a back room and just run people by him. And he would lay hands on people and he would break things off and he would speak things in. And it was just powerful to watch him in that. And so this gentleman comes 
Bob didn't know if we were putting the person that works the nursery in front of him or whether it's a regional leader. He had no idea who we're putting in front of him. So we put this gentleman in front of him. Bob lays hands on him, and all of a sudden, this odor fills the room. And everybody's looking at each other like, what is that? And Bob says, yep, that's stale bread. This man's been on the, you know, he's been on the shelf for a long time. This is stale bread because it's now been years since all this happened. But he's still in a place like he's never going to be able to go back in ministry. Bob lays hands on him. This scent just fills the room, and Bob starts breaking things off and speaking things in. He's sobbing like you can't believe. And then Bob just proclaims over him, the Lord's not done with you yet. He's going to move you back into ministry. He's sobbing. And as Bob proclaims that, all of a sudden, the odor shifted in the room, and this incredibly precious scent just all of a sudden was right there in the middle of the room. Everybody's looking at each other like, what's that? It's just That's the presence of the Lord, Bob's saying. All right? God restored him. God redeemed him. That's peacemaking. Now, what Bob always used to say to me, and I'm going to say to you, you're supposed to be doing that. The prophet isn't the guy who prophesies. The prophet, in Ephesians 4, is the guy who equips the church to prophesy. The evangelist isn't the one responsible to evangelize. He stirs the church up. And so Bob's assignment all the time was not just the minister. It was, hey, you're supposed to be doing this. Now, being the man of faith that I am, I would look at Bob and say, give me a break. I don't have angels visiting me at night, and I don't have sense happening, and all of a sudden the odor's shifting in the room, and he's going, you're supposed to be? You know, people ask me sometimes, it's like, you know, Bob's gone. It's like, do we know anybody that moves in the anointing like he did? And what Bob used to say to me is the church, the whole church will be flowing in this at the end of the age. We're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be moving in power as peacemakers. We're not just held to like whatever skill set we have as relational skills. The life of God is inside of me. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. He's a reconciler. That's who he is. And it's who we're supposed to be. It's what we're called to be. Redemption, restoration, and reconciliation. Now, I want to get real, real practical. I want to talk about difficult conversations because they're crucial to relationships. If we're going to get better at relationships, if we're going to even reconcile relationships, then we're going to start getting involved in difficult conversations. They're everywhere. They're all around us. Can I get an amen on that? All right. I mean, I just want to, this scripture is just uh, really, really powerful in terms of, if I can only find it. This is Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, what Paul is telling us here is that speaking the truth in love is directly tied to our ability to mature. It's true at an individual level that God is asking you to grow in his very character and nature. Guess what? Speaking the truth in love is something we have to embrace. And it's true also about the whole body, the whole body of Christ is we got to get better at speaking the truth in love so that we as a people mature and come into his character and nature. Now, here's the thing about speaking the truth in love. I love this phrase, gracious candor, is what I lose, uh, use in my consulting practice. And there's some personalities, by the way they're wired, they're really gracious. Now, are they candid? No, 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 I don't like being candid. I like being gracious. And then there's per people over here, it's like, I'm really good at being candid. 
Are you being gracious in your candor? I don't worry about the gracious piece. I'm going to speak the truth. And Paul is saying, wait a minute. Speak the truth in love. Be gracious. Be candid. And we need to give each other feedback. And we need to do it graciously. And, and I just want to talk about some skills, some real practical skills as it relates to that. The first one is, I just want to ask a question. Tell me about the home you grew up in. How was conflict handled in the home you grew up in? And did you learn a really healthy model for processing conflict in the home you grew up in? I don't ask for hands, not in this large of an environment. But traditionally, I would tell you 90% of the people say, no, I did not learn of a healthy model or watch or see a healthy model as it relates to conflict. All right, 10% of the people say they did, but it's rare. There's usually two models in most of the homes we grew up in. And one was, there was no conflict. All right, we just pretended like everything was fine. Now there was fruit that there was conflict, but we never talked about it. All right, we just ran away from it. The other one is the person with the larger personality, the louder shouter, or maybe even the biggest fists won every argument. All right, both those models do not work. Can I get an amen to that? So most of us in touch are in touch with what doesn't work, but we don't necessarily have healthy models. All right, the book that, I'm, that I've written really is here's a model for difficult conversations. Here's a six-step process that you can inculcate into your heart and that whenever they pop up, because that's the thing about difficult conversations is I'm doing fine and all of a sudden I find myself in one. And so we got to be ready for that in season and out. And God wants you ready to be at peace even in the midst of the difficult circumstance. And that's not easy to do. We're going to have to manage our hearts in that. Gracious candor. I think there's also just a profoundly prophetic picture that the Lord's given to us. He's given us two ears and one mouth. And he wants us listening twice as much as we're speaking. By our schooling, we're trained in how to give a speech. We're trained in how to collect our thoughts in a paper and present those ideas and rhetoric. We're trained in how to make our point. How many people in high school or even in college had a class in how to listen? Very few of us did. And yet, if we're going to be effective in communication, even more importantly, effective in difficult conversations, listening skills are incredibly important. And most of us haven't been trained in it. Scripture has a lot to say. I want to encourage you, take your highlighter, and I want you to go to the book of Proverbs and just highlight every time the Proverbs is talking about relationships. And then move into Psalms and just highlight every time they're talking about relationships. And then go to the Gospels and see where Jesus is talking about or demonstrating relationships. And then go to Paul's letters. You are going to mark your Bible up a lot. Relationships, they're critical, they're crucial. God made family the, the, the building block for society. He said marriage is really, really critical and we got to honor and protect it. Show me how you do difficult conversations and I'll show you whether that relationship's going to work or not. Are you in the conversation to try and win it? Or are you in the conversation to try and strengthen the relationship? And if the outcome you're looking for is winning an argument, you're going to win it at great cost to the relationship. And yet that's mostly the models we've seen in so many places. Well, guess what? A biblical worldview, a kingdom worldview, is the relationship is what's most important. I want to get in and out of this difficult conversation and strengthen the relationship. Well, then you better be very gracious in your communication. 
And you better be really effective at listening. What is being shared with you? What are you hearing? Some personalities need practice in how to be more tentative. Strong personalities. I have a thought process. It's, I'm able to articulate it very quickly. I get in a difficult conversation, and here's what I think. Here's what I believe. Here's why I believe it. Here's why I'm right. Boom, 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 boom. All right? And I'm not proud to say that was my model in, early in my marriage. My wife is more gracious. My wife is more introverted. My wife is really slow to speak. She contemplates. For me, topics on the table, boom, 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 I win. We're going to bed. Good night. She wakes up the next morning. She says, you know, you said something last night. And I just want to, you know, I've been processing and thinking about it. It's like, no, no, no. I won that argument. We're moving on. That's not how you do difficult conversations with relationships that are important. And now get a kingdom worldview. Guess what? They're all important. Right now, what we're seeing in, 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 uh, you know, in Facebook and all that, and because of the, the political thing, it's like, you know, we're going to demonize the left or we're going to demonize the right, and the Lord's calling us to win them. Yes, have a difficult conversation, but be gracious in the conversation and seek to win them and connect to them, not try and win an argument. Arguments aren't going to get us where we got to get to. Am I saying back away from the conversation? No. I'm saying be gracious in the conversation and listen. You know, what I love about Stuart, and, and I'm learning a lot from him, even as he's talking and sharing, but, you know, Stuart's up here and talking about the conflict and the racial conflict and the political conflict, and, you know, he's going like, I really understand why the, the uh, Black Lives Matter, why they're angry and why they're doing what they're doing. Like, I understand and I really understand why the right is really, really concerned. He said, like, I understand. And that's empathy. Empathy is to seek to understand the other perspective. Now, Stuart would say, I don't agree with them, but I understand. I don't agree with them, but I understand. All right? And seeking to understand, that's empathy. Sympathy is I'm with you, and I'm in the pain and in the place, and I can relate to what you're feeling. There's agreement in sympathy. Empathy doesn't necessarily involve agreement. So I want to make room for your thoughts, even though when you're saying them, <laughs> they hurt. They may offend me even. I don't like them, but I'm going to make room for them. And the ability to make room for thoughts and ideas. I show up, there's two partners, they're in an accounting firm. They like despise one another and it's affecting the business model. And so I show up, it's like, can this be fixed? No, this can't be fixed. It's like, well, Let's talk about it. Ah, you know, when did this start happening? Oh, it's always been that way. You know, the guy's a jerk. Are you here to fix him? He's a jerk. It's like, well, let's take a different approach. All right, this isn't fixable. And I said, well, it's not fixable given the puzzle pieces that are on the table. What if we're missing puzzle pieces? It's not fixable because the puzzle pieces aren't there. Let's create an environment and let's learn how to listen and make room and let's find out what the other party's thinking and why they're feeling what they're feeling and what's happening. And all of a sudden, here come some puzzle pieces, and there's new puzzle pieces. And all of a sudden, in the puzzle pieces, we find a pathway to unlock what was completely broken. 40, 50 testimonies of the unfixable fixing through a healthy conversation. When I was starting to consult, God gives my wife this dream, I'm going to make John a business consultant. And I'm going, Lord, you got your work cut out for you. I have a degree in psychology, spent eight years in sales, pastored for eight years. 
there's nothing in that resume that points me to be a business consultant. The Lord says, no, I'm going to use you as a business consultant. I'm going to create that. So I get called in. I get a chance to do some strategic planning. Somebody trains me real quick on how to do strategic planning. This is the first time I'm doing strategic planning. And I'm doing these interviews. And what comes up is these two guys are at each other's throats. And it's not fixable. I said, hey, could I spend some time with you? I might be able to help. And they're going like, you're not going to be able to help. But we'll let you have some time. But you can't help. And so one and a half hours. All right. Now, this is the part where I, I call it cheating. I don't, it's not right cheating. But God talks to me about what's happening. And the Lord says to me, go back three and a half years. There's something to unlock. And so, like when you're a consultant, like, isn't that sort of cheating that I get insight from the ruler of heaven and earth? So I go in and I talk to him about, hey, we're going to collect puzzle pieces. I want you to be gracious, but I want you to share your thoughts about what you really think. All right, well, I think this guy's a jerk. Okay, well, maybe there's a better place to start. I want to caution you. That's not really gracious. So I'm teaching as I'm doing it. And we start collecting puzzle pieces, and I ask, hey, let's go back three and a half years. When did this start really falling apart? Well, it's always been that way. It's like, no, 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 take me back. Three and a half years ago, what was going on? And sure enough, there's an event that happens. The one guy does something. The other guy thinks he did it on purpose, and he's profoundly negatively impacted by it. So now he believes it was done on purpose. He locks up. Have they ever talked about it? Never talked about it. But now both hearts are completely hard. And so we go back there. And we start sharing puzzle pieces. It's like, here's what I did, and here's why I do it. And the guy said, well, when you did that, do you know this is how it impacted me? The guy says, no, I had no idea that it impacted you like that. So we're like, here's what happened to me. It's like, the guy says, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. And the other guy says, well, I thought you did it on purpose. And so I thought you'd been a jerk this whole time. It's like, I'm sorry that I've just been really hard to you. Would you forgive me? Well, would you forgive me? I got them shaking hands and there's lips quivering because there's a lot of pain in the relationship and it's starting to evaporate. All right, it unlocks, all right, like that. Three months later, the one guy was the guy in charge. He was the managing partner of the business unit. He has a crisis in his family and he needs to retire and he has to choose his successor and he chooses the guy that three months earlier he had no working relationship with. Because now the relationship has been completely restored. And he makes him the new leader. So that guy calls me up and said, you can't believe what happened today. He said, I am now the new managing partner. And if it hadn't been for that time with you, this would never have happened. So he said, here's what I'm going to do for you. Uh, We have a relationship with 80 accounting firms all over the country. And we're going to start referring you into all 80 accounting firms. And I have a consulting practice overnight. Now, do I have a great business partner or what? And I'm telling you, you have a great business partner. All right? When there's conflict, I know somebody. All right? When there's need for restoration, I know somebody. His name's Jesus. He's really good at it, and he wants to use me. Now, the thing about consulting is I get to send the invoice, and it comes back to me. Is this a great country or what? Be careful about knowing somebody else's intentions. Now, the scripture calls that judgment. All right? When when something happens, you do something, and it profoundly negatively impacts me. My tendency is to judge you about who you are and why you did what you did. Now, the question is, have you ever talked to them about it? Didn't need to talk about them. All right? 
I've dismissed them. I've written them off. I've gone hard towards them. That's judgment. And that will come back on you if that's how you relate to others. What I need to do is what Matthew 18 tells us to do. If something happens, I've got to be proactive and go talk to him about it. Well, that's a little uncomfortable. And that involves negative emotions. And I don't like negative emotions. And I don't know how that conversation is going to go. And so there's, there's all sorts of reasons about why I want to avoid a difficult conversation. The scriptures don't give us much way out. Be proactive. Go talk to them. And learn how to manage your heart in it and seek to empathize their perspective, make room for puzzle pieces, find out what they're thinking and feeling, and express yours. I was saying before, some people need help being more tentative. Well, some people need help getting a voice. And guess what? You know where you practice tentativeness? In a difficult conversation. Where do you practice getting a voice? In a difficult conversation. Where do you practice empathizing? In a difficult conversation. Where do you practice managing your heart? In a difficult conversation. Paul's saying, speaking the truth in love is the pathway to maturity. I don't think I'm overstating the, the, the importance of relationships, nor the importance of the skills of difficult conversations. It's crucial. It's crucial. Be careful about judging. So before I come to closure, which is what I'm, I've decided, and I've come to closure on it, before you come to closure, go and talk to them. When you did this, here's how it impacted me. And then let them respond to that. And if that goes well, you're going to win a friend. If it doesn't go well, where they completely dismiss you, all right, Jesus is saying, well, go find somebody else. Go find a third party. Now, what I understand about third parties is be careful about, hey, that didn't go well, so I'm bringing reinforcements. That's not at the heart of what Jesus is saying, I don't believe. I'm going to find somebody who's completely on my side, and two-on-one, we're going to beat the snot out of them, and we'll win this argument. That's not the heart posture. The heart posture is let's get a third party because they're supposed to be a witness. They're supposed to be there on behalf of both sides. Help facilitate healthy process. It's what I do in my consult consulting practice. I facilitate healthy process because healthy process gets us places that we never get to without healthy process. And that's a peacemaker. Bring another party, because what we're after is restoring relationships. The way blood works in the body, all right, one of the main purposes of blood is blood takes the nutrients to wherever in the body they're needed. It takes oxygen to where it's needed. It takes other things. You can learn a lot about yourself and your health from your blood, because it'll tell you, like, are you taking the healthy things, or is it all not so healthy things that's going on? Blood takes the healthy things where it needs to go, and then it grabs the waste materials and grabs them and takes them out. Blood takes the healthy stuff to where it needs to go, takes the bad stuff, gets it out of the system. Well, that's what communication is supposed to do. We as a body, we got to get the healthy stuff to everybody, get the understanding of the word of God and, and all the things meaningful to life and to happiness and for relationship with Jesus. We got to get it every part in the body. That's why small groups are so important to us. You got to be a part of the community. You got to be engaged with it because there's things you need to know and there's information that you need to know. And there's life in those words coming to every segment of the body. At the same time, we got to get all the stuff that's not right and work itself back out of the body. And if the conflict goes unresolved, it starts turning into poison. 
We got to get it out of the body. We got to talk about it. And how we talk about it is just as important as we make a commitment to talk about it. Healthy process is really, really important. Now, development, personal development, involves pain. I work with Glenn, my trainer. What he keeps doing is making me hurt. Now, you're laughing. This is not a laughing matter. I pay him to make me hurt. Now, how sick is that? All right, and and Glenn has this phrase. He says, we're going to mix it up a little bit today. And all that means is he's adding more weight or he's making the exercise more difficult. That's what that phrase means. Because once I get to a place, he adds the weight. Once I get to a place, he makes it more dynamic and more complicated because he's after building my strength. He's after me becoming healthier and being stronger. And that's what Jesus is after in us. And so what he's going to do is he's going to put you into training. And when he puts you into training, you're going to find yourself in some difficult conversations. And you're going to say, this doesn't feel good. All right? Well, there's some pain that is about your muscles growing. It's a good thing. All right? Your little blood vessels tear a little bit, and there's pain involved, but it builds muscle. Now, there's some pain where there's something really broke. All right? So there is some pain that we need to avoid. But the pain of maturing is not to be avoided. It's to be embraced. And God, through his peace to you, he wants you to be okay even when it's not okay. Well, how do you train that? Put you in some situations in which it's not okay? And now I'm giving a whole class on eschatology because that's what he's going to do to his church. I'm taking you places you wouldn't go to by choice, and it's not going to be okay around you, and I'm going to help you be okay. And here's a training ground, relationships. Here's a training ground, difficult conversations that are so crucial to relationships. As a community, we need to love one another. We need to get all the bad stuff out of the system. We're going to do that through speaking the truth in love. And we got to get all the right stuff everywhere, and it's going to become that way by binding us together. We'll be in close proximity to one another. The closer the proximity, the more we step on each other's toes. And so I know how do we beat this is keep your distance. Well, the Lord's got a smile on his face. Watch. You won't be able to keep your distance with where we're going. I have you. You're, check, you're in checkmate, and you don't know it yet. I am going to build my body, and I will release grace that they become just like me. And then I will demonstrate the kind of God that I am to a people and through a people. And what is going to amaze the earth is look at how they love one another. Well, get good at difficult conversations. Get good at working some of this out. Now, the the book also talks a lot about EQ. All right, the ability to have good relationship skills with others. Empathy is a big piece of that, but social skills. You can grow in getting better at social skills. Are people comfortable around you? For some of us, that means tone our personalities down, make people comfortable. For other people, it's like get more of a personality, all right? Because you make people uncomfortable being around you because you aren't comfortable in your own skin. And the Lord's after all of us on that. He wants us to be good in social skills. He wants us, when we're in an elevator with somebody, we can be personable with them. Social skills, that's a part of EQ. The other side of EQ is learning how to manage all right, our motivation, manage our awareness, 
all right, and, and just manage our emotions and stuff. And so, again, I got notes for you about self-regulation, self-motivation, self-awareness. I got two more minutes or whatever. Self-awareness. Exhaustive study in leadership. Ten-year study. The 10-year study was in business, it was in government, it was in social services, it was in the church, it was in the armed services. 10-year exhaustive study. They went looking for attributes of effective leaders. They found 67 of them. And then they prioritized, all right? They put an R factor to which one had the greatest influence as it relates to effective leadership. And what came up as number one on the list is self-awareness. Leadership is about influence. If I'm going to affect someone or affect an environment, all right, then I am going to come and influence them. And if I'm out of touch with the effect I'm having on others, I can't manage it to be successful in leadership. Does that make sense? All right, it's a really important point. Because if you're clueless, you're not going to be effective in leadership. If you're clueless, you're not going to be effective in relationships. If you're clueless, you're not going to be effective in community. All right, so all of you who are clueless, come step on this line. Just kidding. All of us would need to raise our hands. At some level, we're out of touch. And so if I lack self-awareness, where do I get it from? If I want to know about what impact I'm having on somebody else, how do I find out about that? Ask. Be open to feedback. You know, the joy of six children is when they leave the house and they're no longer on your dime, they feel completely okay with telling you whatever they're thinking. And so all of a sudden, you were the one that was dominating the relationship, and all of a sudden, they're on their own, and now they're telling you everything that they're saving up for quite a few years about what they wanted to say to you. But guess what? There's feedback in that. You know, I think I'm a warm, fuzzy guy. And all of a sudden, the Lord shows up and says, you're not. All right? I shared that in a sermon one time. All right? I see myself as gracious. The Lord says, you're not gracious. I'm gracious is what God said to me. I want you to be gracious. You're not. And here, this relationship, it's strained. Go set it right. Here, this relationship, it's broken. Go attempt to restore it. And he came after me. And I was clueless. All right? I, I've shared a story with you about uh, I'm pastoring in the vineyard, and there's a clinical psychologist who's a part of our thing, and he wants to give us this instrument. It's a test that gives us a dynamic about how well we're managing our hearts. It's like, that sounds like a great thing. So he asked 640 questions. It's called the MMPI. All right? The government uses it to decide whether you're of sound mind, and we can convict you in a court of law. That's what the tool is used for. Ask me 640 yes-no questions. Do you like to watch buildings burn? Do you, do you enjoy your bowel movements? And they ask the same question 15 different times in 15 different ways. And you're thinking, how did I answer that last time? And it asks you 640 questions, and then it comes back, and it tells you things that you never told it. It's a very threatening instrument. And I was foolish enough to not know that. Because the test comes back, and the guy sits down with me, and he says, hey, you know, like, how did I look? He said, well, you're, you're in really good shape on a lot of areas, but your PD scale is elevated. I said, really? What's the PD scale? Psychopathic deviancy. <laughs> now, you're laughing. This was traumatic for me. I'm a pastor. 
I'm a pastor with an elevated PD scale. I said, what is the PD scale and what does it say? And he asked, he said, have you ever been in a situation in which the person above you in authority was not for you and you chose to step out from underneath that authority? It's like, golly, that's my whole life. He said, well, there's probably some unresolved anger issues about that. I said, ooh, now you're getting close. Let's talk about them because God wants to restore that. So I went into a season and he started poking around and guess what? It hurt there and it hurt there and it hurt there. God applied his healing grace and my PD scale went down. Because he's a redeemer, he's a restorer. I got so much more in my notes, I want you to get them. I got a lot more in the book if you'd be interested in getting the book. As a community, he's taken us somewhere. He wants us so okay that even the ones that are causing great pain in us, they're persecuting us, they're our enemies, they have nothing good as they approach us. He wants us to be able to stay soft even in that dynamic. And he's going to take us right now into a season in which he's going to test that. Because a lot of us are going to say, hey, I think I'm doing pretty well. And we're about to find out how well you're doing. Because will you be able to love your enemies? Will you be able to love even those that when they get cut, what's on the inside is going to come out? Hear that. The Lord's a great trainer. He's going to cut us. And what comes out is what's inside of us. And some of us are out of touch with what's inside of us. And so we're going to be around each other and we're going to start to bleed on each other and we're going to start to act out on each other. Well, what do we do with that? We do Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. We live the Sermon on the Mount. We learn how to love. We learn to have difficult conversations. We start giving feedback to somebody that may lack awareness. I'm going to do it very graciously. They're going to give me feedback about how they see me. And we're going to learn how to have those conversations. And God, by his grace, is going to take us places we never dreamed about being. We will be like him. We will walk in his character and nature. We will demonstrate to the earth that our God is a God of love, because watch, look how they love one another. That is our call. That is our assignment. You are a peacemaker. By character and nature, he wants to strengthen you and grow you in that, and then he wants to give you the assignment. Bring it wherever you go. Amen? Here, stand up and let me pray for you. We're going to do some training within staff that really is going to go after some of this stuff. And we're going to even do some, do some more even training for the whole community. We got to get good at this, folks. We got to get better at this. You know, when they need a consultant, when they need somebody that can unlock something that's unlockable, they call me and I'm pretty effective at it. I'm really, really good if you're in a difficult conversation. If I'm in a difficult conversation, I'm not very good at it. Because it involves pain, and it's hard, and there's negative emotions. When I'm facilitating yours, I'm free of that. I can just really go after a healthy process. And if you got a little pain, I can be a little pastoral with you and encourage you. But when I'm in it, I got squishy spots. There's rejection inside of me, and all of a sudden that gets touched. You know, and I do what anybody does. I just dismiss you if you reject me. That's not what we're supposed to do. And so, physician, heal thyself. I need more of this. I need, that's what the Lord's coming after me. John, you're not gracious enough. You don't love well enough. You're not proactive enough. 
You don't give enough feedback. You don't receive feedback at the pace and the level I want you to do. We have to get better at giving each other feedback. We have to get better at receiving feedback. We got to get away from clueless and head into aware. Lord, how do you see me? How does the rest of the body see me? And we're going to have some difficult conversations along that way. Lord, we come boldly before you as a people in need. Lord, there's a yes in our hearts about your promises over us. There's a yes in our hearts about what you want to do to us and through us. But Lord, we just go low right now and we say, help, help, Lord, help. Release grace to us to get better at relationships. Lord, grow our self-awareness. Teach us how to be proactive. Lord, if we have issue with others, you tell us to go. Well, if we're aware that they have issues with us, you want us to be proactive. Lord, that's almost too much for us to, to say yes to. You want us to be proactive about difficult conversations.